been talking about worship the last few weeks, in case you have not been with us. Um, and we'll continue to do that today and, and uh, next week as well. You know, worship is uh, a, a high value and priority for us here. We'll talk about that today a little bit. But I just feel like periodically, maybe, you know, we don't do it every year, but annually or so, it's good to just refresh our memories and our hearts a little bit about what it means for us to be people of worship. Uh, we have been starting each sermon the last few weeks from the Psalms. I'm going to change that today a little bit. I want to introduce today's topic by looking at a, a brief little passage here in the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke chapter 1, the very beginning. It says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This is the uh, very, very beginning of the gospel before, of course, Jesus is even born. Zechariah is the husband of Elizabeth, making him I don't, the uncle or great uncle or something like that of Jesus. And he was a priest who served in the temple. And it says here they, there was sort of a rotation system uh, by which the priests would serve on given days. And when their day came up, twice during that course of that day, they would go to the temple. And if you've seen in your Bible, it might have in the back and the maps and stuff, maybe you've seen a diagram of the temple. There's sort of the Holy of Holies in the center, and then sort of the inner court where the priest would go, and then there's the outer court, and then there are some other courts beyond that, but the people would gather, the priests would go in, and their job was to light incense in there. And when they would do that, the, the fragrance of that incense would kind of come out and fill that outer court so that the worshipers gathered would smell it, and it smelled good, it was nice. And the purpose of the incense was that it would remind people of the blessing and the pleasure of God, that God was smiling, God was happy with them. God enjoyed the worship of His people, and that's what the incense would remind those people of. In the Old Testament, as we've you know, looked at it over the last few weeks, the temple was the place of worship. And of course, in the New Testament, after uh, the birth and life of Jesus, there was a change that happened, and we become the temple. We become the place of worship. Worship happens in and, and through our lives. And so if you kind of carry over that idea, uh, that thinking from the Old Testament to the New Testament, then our job really is to smell good. So, Yeah, so on that note, there's a couple of you I'd like to talk... No, I'm just kidding. Um, our job is to carry with us the fragrance of Jesus. I don't know if you ever think of it that way. We talk about being presence carriers, but our job really is to carry with us the aroma, the fragrance of Jesus that people around us might smell that smell as the worshipers in the temple did and think, oh my gosh, God loves me. When you have the opportunity to interact with people, it was interesting yesterday, just the blessing of people, just Christians blessing people in the community and how they would smile and they were blessed by our presence. And that's really our job. Paul reminds us of that in 2 Corinthians. 
He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And here, I love this. This is just, boom. Uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. God uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. John Wimber used to tell this story. Uh, He got in an elevator one time, and he's riding the elevator, and there's this woman in the elevator next to him, and she was just kind of standing there, and he could tell that she sensed the presence of God, but she didn't know what it was, and she was just kind of in awe, and he goes, it's pretty good, isn't it? (laughs) And it was that aroma, and we carry that aroma with us. God uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. It's an interesting dynamic. To the one, we're an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. We want to bring life. Uh, And again, we can be a blessing to people around us just by being filled with the presence of God as we become the temple of God. So... With that in mind, uh, our title this morning is The Aroma of Worship, and we're just going to talk about what that means to carry that aroma with us. So why don't we uh, take a second, we'll pray, and then we will jump into this. Father, we thank you for your goodness here and uh, your presence in worship today, and I just pray that this morning you would fill us with that presence in such a way that as we leave here and we go out about our business and life and the world and work and school and that we carry that aroma with us and that we really have a deep understanding of what it means to, uh, to walk and live in your presence and to be worshipers of you in all that we do. In your name we pray, amen. There were uh, three basic things that happened in the temple that I think are fundamental to our understanding of what it means to be the temple today. The first is Sacrifice. Sacrifice was part of worship, and at the end this morning, we're going to look at sacrifice in a little more detail. But what I want to say right now is that to to be sacrificial really means that we give something, okay? By, By definition, to sacrifice is to give up something. Of course, in the temple, the animal that was sacrificed gave everything. They gave their life. Uh, and and I, I don't know that God's calling us to give our life in that capacity, but I do think He's calling us to give sacrificially. And I, and I want to say this in terms of sacrifice this morning. Whether you're talking about your, your money or your time, your talents, your service to the Lord, whatever it is, I, I think that if we are going to be worshipers of God and live sacrificially, we need to learn to give till it hurts. I would say, as a rule of thumb, my my personal conviction is this. To live sacrificially, we have to give to the point that it's not comfortable to give. Sometimes we sort of kind of evaluate and we look at our budget or whatever it is and we can afford this much, and we give this much. And that's comfortable. And and I would say this to you, if it's comfortable, it's not sacrificial. I I think we have to learn to give till it's uncomfortable. There's faith in that. And again, I'm not talking about just money. That's sort of the easiest example to use, but it might be our 
time or energy or service or talents. You give what you have until it's uncomfortable to give. <coughs> Second thing that happened in the temple <coughs> was prayer. And prayer is a, a, a bigger topic than we're going to cover today. I, I'm not going to get into prayer because I think there's more there than we can cover. But suffice it to say this, prayer did take place at the temple, and we are, as the temple, a place of prayer, if you will. And I would say that simply means that we partner with God in inviting His kingdom to come and His will to be done in the world today. That's really what that means. And then the thing that I want to focus the, the, the most on this morning is worship. And worship was the third thing that took place in the temple. Now, um, <coughs> sorry about that. We, uh, we've been talking about worship for a month on, on Sunday. We have said here before that worship is a core value for us. Um, that is true of the Vineyard Movement, the, the part of the church that we are a part of, has worship as a core value, central value. And then we as a church, our leadership team earlier this year, <coughs> spent some time evaluating what are the things that are most important to us, and worship came out very high on that list. So as a local congregation, worship is also uh, very important to us. And, I, you know, we've said before, worship is our, our highest priority. So, so let me ask you this. Why? Why is worship so important? Why does it mean so much to us? I would say, and you know, maybe worship really is the most important thing we do. So, so, so why is that? Why, why is worship what it is to us? And I want to, again, look back at the Old Testament this morning to kind of see if we can dig out an answer for that question. The central event of the Old Testament was the Exodus. The people of God being held captive in Egypt, and then God releasing His people from captivity, from slavery, into freedom and into, <coughs> we talk about them going to the promised land, <coughs> but as well as a geographic freedom, there was also something else that happened. They, they were freed into a renewed relationship with God. And that event, that exodus, uh, that, that transition from slavery to freedom and relationship with God is, is re really is the center of the Old Testament and everything else that happens kind of frames that event. It was, although it was not a moment, it was the defining moment, the defining time uh, in Israel's history was, was the exodus. So why did God do that? Why, why did God... Uh, free his people from slavery. Um, you might say, well, I think God freed his people from slavery because he didn't want them to be slaves. He wanted his people to be free. He didn't want his people to be in bondage. And if you said that, you would be correct. That would be right. That's a good answer. You might say God has a plan for us. <coughs> and um, that wasn't God's plan, and so God was just you know, he was exercising his authority to free his people. To That was his plan for his people to be free. And I think if you put it that way, you would also be correct. That, that, that also is right. You, you might say that God is a God of love and he's, he wanted to bless his people. He wanted them to be in the land of milk and honey. He wanted them to be in the promised land. And if you answered that way, I think you would also be correct. I think all of those are 
valid reasons why God would want his people to be free, but I think there's a foundational fundamental reason that underlies all of those things that kind of all of those are built on. And I want to look at uh, real quickly the Exodus uh, account in the Old Testament because I think it tells us why God freed his people. In Exodus chapter 4, it says, Then say to Pharaoh, this is God speaking, Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. And in chapter 7, he says, Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. Chapter 8, The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, Say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Chapter 9, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Chapter 9 again, This is what... The Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Chapter 10, let my people go so that they may worship me. Chapter 12, finally, Pharaoh gets the point. During the night, Pharaoh had had enough. No, it doesn't say that. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. He said, up, be gone with you. You're fired. No, he didn't say that either. Uh, Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. So let me ask again, why did God free his people? So that they may worship him.